This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode includes mention and spoilers from Game of Thrones, Akatar series, Throne of Glass, The Vampire Diaries, from Blood and Ash series, and The Black Witch Chronicles. There's also discussion surrounding suicide. Everybody and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing books one through three of The Mortal Instruments by Cassandra Clare. That is City of Bones, City of Ashes, and City of Glass. And this is Jessica Marie's very first exposure, <laughs> first everything, to the Shadowhunter world. You made out with your sister. That's why I'm like thinking of Eurotrip. <laughs> so because this is Jessica's first experience with the Shadowhunter world, and I wanted her to have as good of an experience as possible because I love this whole world, I debated long and hard on how she should read this. And I told her two things. I said, watch the pilot of the TV show. It'll give you kind of like a like a basis for everything. And number two is I spoiled the big spoil and told her that Jace and Clary are not siblings. Which even in my reaction videos, I had to remind myself when certain things were happening um, that they're not siblings, that they're not siblings. But because we're seeing the internal dialogue I, I, you know, it was really about, you know, okay, I, even though I know that big spoiler part, and now I have to know the journey of how we find that out, because we're also seeing their points of views and their processes, and they don't know that. So they're still really in their own emotions and handling how their romantic feelings are being portrayed to each other. And it's tough. It's a very, like, kind of tough sell, but... I tried very hard to think of reading these three books for the very first time, and I couldn't do it. I've I've read this whole thing. I mean, the whole Shadowhunters world, I've read it all the way through at least three times. So it was very tricky for me. But I gave Jessica kind of uh, themes and things to look for to kind of help her like redirect her focus so it wasn't so much on this like brother-sister dynamic. And I don't know, did that help? I think it it did help because I had I had to pull myself out of their perspective because I as a first time reader and especially with so many books out there, so I can't imagine people who have started reading the series from the very beginning. Um so you're only getting the information as the release dates are coming that that you're just sitting with all of this not knowing and I think one of my reaction videos that I had sent to you, Laura, was, look, I know that they are not siblings, but I can see why. And maybe we should just, like, dive into that part of the conversation first, and then we can go into the other themes, because otherwise, 
it's going to take over the conversation, at least for me, because um, I can see why people say, you know what, this isn't my jam. I need to put this down. Um, and I know prior to this episode, Laura, you said, like, you don't have siblings. And I come from a very blended family. Like, I have um, my my dad remarried, had two kids. Technically, they are my half-siblings, but not once have I ever said, like, oh, this is my half-brother, this is my half-sister. I always refer to them as my siblings. Um, and then when he was dating my stepmother, you know, before I realized that they were in a relationship, I had a crush on this guy, blah, blah, blah. He was cute. He was older. Come to find out, he's now, like, my step-cousin. So that was like, oh, no, no, no. And that was just your family now, even though there is no blood relation there. So I think that's just where I was and I am mentally as going through this process. But we had the conversations of other um, sibling, uh, other forms of media with sibling dynamics that weren't blood related also. Uh, some and some that are. So you've got uh, Game of Thrones. Obviously, you have Jamie and Cersei, who are twins, and they have several children together. Everyone forgets about Gossip Girl. <laughs> uh, there is, of course, Cruel Intentions. And what else is out there? Uh, well, see, and even in Gossip Girl, there's two relationships because you have Serena and Chuck, who they were step siblings. Their parents were married, and they always refer to each other as brother and sister. But then when it comes to Serena and Dan. They never, they, they never acknowledge the fact that they're really siblings because they like each other, even though they're not related by blood, but they both share a half sibling. Um, nobody for everybody forgets about that sibling. I love that Chuck never lets them forget it. <laughs> that was the, the immediate example that I was thinking of. You had said Game of Thrones. Oh, and you had said, Umbrella Academy. Umbrella Academy and Elite, both on Netflix. Oh, and Elite. Right. And I hadn't watched Elite, but I watched the first season of Umbrella Academy. And you had said, do I think this relationship is weird? And for me personally, I knew that they weren't, you know, biologically siblings, but they were raised as siblings. So for me, that would have been weird. And you're talking about Umbrella Academy. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Umbrella Academy. And that is with Allison and Luther. They are adopted but are raised from a very young age as siblings. And they are completely in love with each other and have had um, very romantic moments. Right. And, and they were beautiful, them. beautiful moments where you I, – I remember watching the first, you know, the first season thinking, you know, weird – you know, the dynamic is different growing up. However, you were rooting for them also. You wanted those moments for them. Um, and at the same time, if you dissect that relationship, they were siblings. Yes, they were all adopted. They also weren't in traditional sibling roles. They were kind of experiments at the same time. I just, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe it's how each of the, the relationships are portrayed. But... Cassie Clare does a really nice job. Laura, you found a great Tumblr post from her her Tumblr directly. And uh, somebody was very respectful and asking her those questions. And, you know, I'll lead in saying trigger warning for discussion of incest, sexual assault and cannibalism. Um, the 
the person who asked the question says, I'm a huge fan of the Mortal Instruments. I absolutely adore your writing, your characters. I do have a genuine question. Why is incest such a reoccurring theme in the Mortal Instruments? Please don't think I'm criticizing your work. I just think it's interesting because of Game of Thrones. There's motive for incest, like keeping bloodlines pure and royal. But in the Mortal Instruments, it seems to be a genuine I'm in love slash lust with my sibling. And I'd like to know why you chose such a typically tabooed reoccurring theme for your books. And we will link this in the show notes. But... um. Cassie Clare does a really lovely job, I think, that I, as somebody who is very skeptical, um, kind of diving into it. And I think part of that is because of how respectful the person was asking that question. It wasn't an attack. It was a genuine curiosity. And I think it's kind of reflective in this episode, like, discussion that we'll be having. And I think I think that's really a good point because... You know, asking asking someone something nicely gets you like so much further than just attacking somebody. And I feel like that is a lesson that has kind of gone by the wayside nowadays. Um, you know, honey flies, that kind of thing. And Cassie Clare does give a ton of examples. She gives examples about royalty. She gives examples about the gods and how like in all myths and like religions, there's always like some sort of incest. And it's it's just we'll link it. Go ahead and read it. It's very, very interesting. Um, I, because I've read this so many times, I am not bothered by this at all. I also, as I said, don't have siblings. And there are so many clues that tell the reader that they are not siblings from the get-go. But all most people focus on is the fact that they might be. And I do, as we said, think that is because we get their inner dialogue. We get like their thoughts about everything. And like we don't really get that in the other examples that we've listed. We only get, you know, what's being said. You know, in Game of Thrones, we get a little bit. The show kind of skewed that a little bit. But, you know, that's that's a whole other episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through all three books and kind of like talk about themes and hit high points. We're not going to like discuss every single plot. We'll be here forever. Um, but so Jess, overall, these first three books kind of like introduce us to the world and end on like a, a pretty like joyous, like hopeful note. So in these first three books, like what are your initial like thoughts about the world of Shadowhunters? I like, I like, um, Alicante. Like, I like this world. It just, I think it brings me back into the fantasy of it all because initially it starts off with, you know, it's just kind of magic in New York, which again, I'm here for. Um, there is a familiarity when they are, you know, running around uptown or, you know, on a scooter or in a bike or wherever they are. Um, I, I was, I was actually kind of sad of, when Alec feels like he can't come out to his family, to his... Like, I understand if he feels like he can't tell Jace because they're... Not because he's in love with them a little bit, but more because I think anybody, when you are willing to share that vulnerability and telling somebody that you are 
you don't just love them, but you're in love with them. That part I understand about Alec because there is a vulnerability in sharing those emotions with somebody you care about. I'm sad that homophobia exists, not just in this. And, you know, it's not just a, oh, it's, you know, this story, this this book wasn't written that long ago. And we all know things can change very rapidly. I mean, look at progress that has happened in the last couple years, not even 10 years. And this book was written in the 2006, I want to say. Um, but it's two th- it's 2021 and it still exists like it's not even it's not like oh but it, it's only in some areas no it's still very much alive in cultures and countries and first world countries and all you know it doesn't matter and it that makes me so sad and i like magnus knowing that and he's like i've been around for 800 years i know how this shit plays out and he's just you know, he's in love with this guy who's not ready to kind of, you know, and respectfully so. I'm not saying this in a because I don't know what it's like to have that experience. It just makes me sad that that, you know, people do have to have these live experiences because we live in this world that they feel that they have to shelter themselves or, I, you know, hide themselves from the world as well as themselves as people and you know Isabel's very protective of him over that too um you know and I get that as a sister well sure and okay so shadow hunters is like it's religion pretty much or they they um they describe it sometimes like Simon does as like a cult uh you know it's angels it's demons it's hell it's heaven it's not necessarily god and it's all of you know all these different things so the fact that there is very blatant homophobia does absolutely reflect like the Catholic church. Like it is like very clear. And so if we go through our characters, we have here, I have a list of, of the major ones. We have Clary, Jace, Luke, Alec, Magnus, Simon, Hodge, the silent brothers, uh, Maris, Max, the inquisitor, Imogen, uh, Raphael, Maya, Valentine, Sebastian, Aline, Inquisitor, Aldertree, Amethyst, Stephen, and Celine. And there are others, but like those are the ones that we're talking about here. And I, I love, I like, I love all of them. I love all of them like so very much. And something that I really, really enjoy is I enjoy the government system, the politics of everything. I enjoy the backstory because and especially like rereading this now, Jess, I don't know if you picked up on this, Valentine and his mission, The Circle, I mean, it, when he was, it just gave me a lot of Magnus Bane vibes just with his mission and not, not in a, he just felt like he, he was... I, I say it like not in a takeover way, but in a we're better than I guess that is kind of like, no, no, not Magnus Bane, who I, Vogel Vogel is. Yes. OK. I was like, Magnus. Yeah. No, Sweet sorry. Magnus. I was like, no, 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 no. Sorry. Marcus Vogel. Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, <laughs> I was that's why I was like, why are you looking at me? Because I knew who I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, that's what I that's what I mean. Uh Marcus Vogel with this 
we're the supreme race and everybody and and you even hear it with some of the you know depending on what type of race or species people were they're referring they refer to humans as mundanes so you know you're muggles but then anybody else who wasn't essentially a shadow hunter is a downworlder and anybody who was who believed or was friends or associated with downworlders you should be stripped of your your powers um it's 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 earthia and gardneria and scary shit all over again of this we're we're the dominant superior race species it uh, you know where we are with that as everybody should be because oh and then if you are friends with them we'll strip you from your power so then you are vulnerable um to be attacked and killed yeah and then uh they the so the circle this this is all very interesting and like more like the later books and even like the earlier books kind of like go into this and novellas go into this about the history of the circle so the circle was uh, Valentine Morgenstern, Steen Stern, and he and his like group of followers basically formed like a cult that was obsessed with the purity of the Shadowhunter world and essentially want to overthrow the ruling government and enforce like very strict purity lines in the, the Shadowhunter world and to, in the end, eliminate all downworlders and like cleanse the world and fulfill their holy mission, which is absolutely insane. And this is all, this is, and you know, it's not like they're old. This, this mission that was established was when they were in high school. Yeah. 15, 16, same age as Clary. When I guess in this book, they come into their ages at 16, but in the show it was at 18. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, Jocelyn, Clary's mother, says, you know, when she's giving her some of the history, she goes, look, we got, ma- you know, I got married at 18. He was 19. And Clary goes, that's so young. And she goes, well, you know, the the, the lifespan of a shadow hunter tends to be Short. shorter because of everything that they're involved in. So, and she even said, she goes, mom, what would you say if I was getting married at 18? And, jo- you know, and that was exactly the point. Um, and it's just... You're in high, imagine being in high school. And I can't even say imagine being in high school because we've been in high school and haven't had those thoughts. But there are people out there who are raised at such, at such a young age to have this hate and, um, this hatred towards others who are not themselves. It, it's really kind of horrifying. And the, so the circle existed in the past and then there was a, an uprising and lots of people died. And I have a question. I'm yeah. sorry. No. Um, before I slip my mind and it's a huge series. I know that there's like a lot of time. There's different things set in different times. Are we going to find, find out more about the circle, the click, like everything before Valentine and like how, shadow hunter like the infancy like the angels and all of that stuff like the beginning oh yeah oh, okay oh yeah it's all it's all there like okay. it's all there uh so something that is really interesting is that the shadow hunters and i i like this sorry we're a little bit out of order but like later on in the book somebody says like isn't 
aren't shadow hunters like all paid the same? Aren't shadow hunters like just given like a stipend or a salary? It's like, well, yeah, because, you know, we and, and shadow hunters have their own country. They have their own city, which is really cool. It's like on the border of like Switzerland. It's kind of neat. And um, there's a whole and and this is an answer to your question. There's a whole backstory about how certain shadow hunter families got so rich and they did that through spoils, which is like murdering downworlders and taking all of their wealth. And that uh, made prominent shadow hunter families. And then Valentine took or like chose members for the circle from those prominent families. So that's kind of like how all of that happened. The uprising happened. They were defeated by Clary's mother and Luke and like a whole band of, of allies. And then certain members were killed and certain members were forgiven for various reasons and like sent out into the world. And that is the backstory that leads up to City of Bones. Clary is 15 and um, we learn all about her, her little adventures. And boy, are there adventures. Um, I have to say, I love Isabel. I know she comes off as like kind of whiny and annoying, but her line about nothing less than seven inches just, just <laughs> destroyed me. It's so funny. And I just love it so much. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess maybe because I had seen the pilot of Shadowhunters for ABC Family or Freeform, whatever, um, I didn't take her as whiny. I saw her as... And this is how her character is portrayed in the pilot. She's this bad bitch, knows her shit. She's a fighter. She's, you know, around her brother. She's part of the, she's HBIC at the New York Institute. So when I was reading, when, after I saw the pilot and then I went into reading, that's the energy that I kept with Isabel's character. So like even in the third book, um, it, it's a fade to black. But she goes, I'm stressed. Let's and like throw Simon down on the bed. I was like, that's my girl. I love her. I like it. I love I love the the bad bitch main character energy some of these characters have because I don't have it. So what I would do to just osmos like I just want osmosis to just lay the book on me so I could feel that energy. <laughs> and speaking of main character energy. Clary is our main character and she is the ultimate like early 2000s pick me girl. She mm -hmm. is chosen, doesn't want to be chosen. She has talent, you know, all the, all the things, all the things. She's different. She doesn't want to be different. All those things. Um, she, oh, and she doesn't have all the friends, but the friend that she does have is she's like, I'm a, I'm a girl's, a guy's girl. And her, you know, it's just that leave us be. And she, instead of a book, she's carrying like a sketchbook mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, it, it's, it is all the tropes, which is like <sighs> hilarious. But remembering when this was like written, when this was set, like now and her age too. Yeah. Like she's that's a, I, I have to keep reminding myself because even in the show, she's 18 in the show. She's in the first book. She's 15 for 70 percent of it until she until her 16th birthday, which she, she celebrates with a picnic and Jace. Yeah, it's it's like very sweet. 
Her best friend is Simon. And Jess, I know you were like so <laughs> done with Simon. I was done with Simon. I sent you a rant about it. He's an asshole. I thought he was going to, you know, oh, and like Simon says when he saw Clary and Jace kissing, he goes, he's an asshole. I thought you were better than that. Just him gaslighting her. And I know it's part of the unrequited love, but he was butthurt because she didn't like him. And he even says like, oh, I just wanted to be with Isabel because I was trying to make you jealous. I thought you would finally open your eyes and see what's in front of you. You're so stupid. It's fucking done with his ass. Book one. And then in book three, I know we're jumping, but then he finally kind of sacrifices himself because Luke and Jocelyn are like, no. And Raphael said, you know, why would you sacrifice and, you know, get all these people killed for one person? And and Simon says, no, I'm going to sacrifice myself, basically. You know, bigger picture. I like that he was said, you know, screw, you know, like that's, it's just me. There's more people at it. Granted, we, we eventually know that there was a bigger play. And he goes, ah, 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 loophole. Technically, I did come here, you know. Um, so it is what it is. But it took me a while. He was just so annoying. I, he, you know, it's like, you know, Caroline, where she was just a piece of shit. I was and just going to bring that up. I was <laughs> just going to bring that vampire, up. And then you like her. That was that was Simon. He finally became a vampire. And I I mean, my surprised face when he sucked Jace's blood and then he goes, I'm a daylight walker now or something. I go, oh, I am so surprised. Please tell me again why you can walk in the sun. Um, but he's, he was less annoying, that, you know, once he became paranormal. Yeah, I was just thinking that, too, because like. Uh, in a very specific episode of The Vampire Diaries, it's like, Caroline, would you take the cure? And it's like, no, I hated myself as a human. I love myself now as the vampire. And that is very much like it, it will in this setting, in these books, that's what happens with Simon. Like he becomes this confident, graceful, powerful person for the first time in his life. And mm -hmm. he really like relishes. I mean, he does not like being a vampire, but he it's better than being dead. And you know, Simon's Jewish and, the, you know, there's a few like Jewish, like specific things that happen to Simon. And it's like very, it's like, oh, Simon, oh, <laughs> I love you. It, I just think he's the sweetest. And so Simon gets turned into a rat in book one. <laughs> it, it's consistent in the book. It's consistent in the movie. It's consistent in the show. It always happens. It happens at Magnus's party. And I cannot state how much I love Magnus. I love him so much. I like he's Magnus so a lot. He's so wonderful. He's funny. He's witty. He's just, he's fantastic. He has a weakness for black hair, blue-eyed boys. Ugh, don't we all? Don't we all? And <laughs> and he's just, he's just wonderful. And in book one, we are introduced to the first mortal instrument. That's the mortal cup. And Clary's mom, like, took it from Valentine and had to hide it. And uh, book one is basically Clary, like, learning about the shadow hunter world, figuring out where the cup is, and then basically being betrayed and Valentine taking the cup. And then book two kind of opens with like, well, what do we do now? Kind of situation. Oh, and we also get the very big battle scene at the Hotel du Mor and our introduction to Raphael. And I love Raphael too. Really? I mean, I think I was just indifferent about him. I don't know. I mean, you know what it is? I think 
I don't want to say indifferent. Raphael was very practical. He's very objective. And I think there is a respect there that we get so wrapped up in our emotions. Um, and Laura, we were talking about this the other day of like just zodiac signs in general and astrology about the ones who are, you know, can kind of who get depicted as, you know, bitchy or hard or grounded or serious or practical. Like what? That there's this perception that we're pieces of shit um, when there's nothing wrong. You don't have to be emotional all the time. I mean, granted, these books have come like not these Shadowhunter books specifically, but reading, you know, the way I have have definitely untapped certain emotions. But just because you can be practical and think about bigger picture, there's nothing wrong with that. Why does that make you a shitty person? Because you're not crying or laughing or all this stuff all the time. And I think there's just a this just a misconception with that. And I love Raphael because he's very conflicted. He has a very dry sense of humor, first of all. And secondly, he his family doesn't know that he's dead. So he wears a cross and he goes out and like burns himself and spends time with his family. And, you know, as a vampire, you're supposed to like cut all your your ties because you're not truly living, but he doesn't do that. And I just love him. Which is also really weird because he tells Simon that he needs to admit to himself that he's dead. But he himself, I, I don't know, because maybe the dialogue, he's, he goes, well, I have accepted it. And Simon just pushes back. He goes, you might have accepted it, but you're not acting like it. Like your actions, you're saying one thing and acting a certain way because you want the best of both worlds, which is very much like the vampire diaries that they are um the living they they are the living dead yeah yeah i i love the complexities of raphael and that gets of course like explored many many times later on in books um the big twist in the end of this one is that clary and jace are quote unquote siblings and we learn that and it's it's like very upsetting everyone's upset about it but knowing as we do that they are not really kind of drives home the fact that Valentine knows this. He knows this all along. He and we find out in book three that not only did he know this, he actively raised two different boys. He experimented actively on three different children and he uses the guilt and like pain of this um and and doesn't give any indication that clary and jace aren't siblings so that he can utterly and completely destroy and manipulate them which is so fucked up on so many levels but like i think that is kind of what i was focusing on in this reread like he knew he knew his whole life that they they weren't siblings and he sees Clarissa and he's like, oh, you're Clarissa. You're my daughter. You look so much like your mother. And all the clues are like, and, and just this is what I said to you, like every single time Jace is told that he is just like Valentine, it's about his actions and his reactions. It's not at all about like physical resemblance. In fact, they say several times like, no, he doesn't look anything like my mother. He doesn't look anything like Valentine. He looks like his own person. And everything that does remind people of Valentine through Jace is a learned behavior. 
which is a like nature nurture type situation. I remembered that meat when I because we don't find all of that out really until this third book. And there's six in the Mortal Instruments series. Six, seven, six. So I think books one through three were a nice little framework of saying we'll do that section first. Um, but I remembered that meme, not even a meme, maybe it was a TikTok where you said you sent me about you trying to explain the shadow hunters. And now it made like it clicked when I saw it. And I was thinking of that shadow, uh, that TikTok because it was the person he was describing Valentine spending more time with the demon, quote unquote, demon blooded son and giving his angel blooded son treating him like shit completely. I mean, even when you think of um, and two very different lives had, you know, one in one house, another in the other. But Sebastian slash Jonathan knew the whole time that he had a brother. Knew the whole time. But I guess part of that nature versus nurture is, but he didn't care, you know? And knowing if it was Jace, he would have because he, you know, you think of the story. I mean, you knew the story he was talking about with the hawk. Like, look, I taped him. I domesticated him. You know, it it was really it was really sad to me. It made sense. I under I understand where Valentine was coming. I don't want to say understand. Okay, my biologic father we all know is like a piece of shit. And I remember at one point he told me, and my therapist I know had a field day with this one, um, where he said, "Never be the one to love more in the relationship, because if you love more, you don't have the power." And that's what that what Valentine reminded me of, of saying you can't care about anything. Caring is a weakness. And that's a reoccurring theme also in a lot of the books that we've read. If they know how you feel about, you know, you think about Rowan and Maeve or knowing how Rowan feels about Aelin or in the defense that I had initially had for yeah, I'm sorry. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. Um, I, I initially was thinking with Amarantha, oh, he can't show her. I can't give a straight face. I hate Tamlin. <laughs> Laura's like laughing off camera. <laughs> I, I'm laughing at myself. I'm crying. Um, it's like, oh, well, he can't let Amarantha. I can't say this with a straight face. Uh, Amarantha know how he really feels about Feyre, because then Amarantha will know. <laughs> so I, I kind of understand where Valentine was going with that. Knowing that uh, Valentine knows that Jason and Chloe aren't related, and Valentine right. knows who Jace's, like, true parents are, and Valentine is, like, like raising these two boys— and this is skipping to the third book, but Jace has angel blood and Sebastian, we're just call him Sebastian. Uh, Sebastian has demon blood. And what we learn in book three is where he gets the demon blood. The lady says like, this will, this will burn out any, any goodness that he has. Like this is going to like basically drive him nuts, but he'll be strong and he'll be able to do things that other people, you know, couldn't do. And then, Valentine says to Jace, like, you, 
you have like all of these things that I value, but I don't value them in a soldier. I don't value them in a tool that I can use. Like, like, yeah, you're good at these things, but you're weak and you're breakable. And you just. And his point wasn't to have a son. He wanted a soldier. And he's very specific with that, too. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it is really sad when you think about it. Uh, something else that is really sad that bothered me is um, the. The Seely, the Seely Queen, the Seely Court that we go to, and we meet Meliorn and Isabel, and it, it's really great. But the Seely Queen also knows that she knows, mm-hmm. she knows, and even Clary calls her out of it when she sees her in the third book, and she goes, "Why didn't you say anything?" You know, and part of me is thinking, "Well, that's that's the way of the Fey, or like the way of the traditional Fey," and then the other part, and then I. <laughs> Then her response is, well, you both share angel blood and, you know, we're all brothers and sisters. Like, tell me that's not some Sunday church shit. We're like, we're all brothers and sisters in the eyes of Christ. And I was like, bitch, no, you knew what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, she knew. She knew what she was doing. And she was, just like Valentine, actively torturing these people. And not and not just like Clayson and Jay- er, not just like Clary and Jace, but <laughs> Simon, she also knew that. And like Isabel to an extent, because Isabel cares so much for, for her family. It's just like these she's ki- playing them. She's yeah. kind of like playing off of their emotions and feeding off of them. But that's exactly what I would expect from this type of fake queen. Exactly. And I also really like that. Um, I, well, obviously, I like this version of uh, Fairyland because like Cassie Clare and Holly Black are best friends. We know this. Um, so their Feylands are very similar. They can't lie, all this stuff. And we get a lot more fairy in like later books and later series. And it, it is still just fantastic. But I have to really feel for these characters because at this point, they're like 16, 17. And like all of this shit is happening. And I know that they tell us and like Jesse said it very like beautifully, like Shadowhunter lifespans are short. So everything, they do everything much younger than everybody else. But it's like Clary is so new to this world that everyone else is like aged up, you know, kind of. And like she is always still 16 and she has so much catching up to do. And I feel like. And she's human 16, not paranormal 16. Right. And she finds out Valentine is her father and like he and, like, being tortured that way. And, like, the Steely Queen is also torturing her. It's like, good lord. These are children. And I just I just felt so bad for them. And it's interesting. And I, this just came to mind when you're saying, you know, the very different lifestyles that they... The, the way the shadow hunters have been raised and the way Clary is very new to the world, even though she's had this shadow hunter blood with her the whole time, it reminds, and, and she's isolated, you know, she is in her bubble. And it reminds me of Poppy in From Blood and Ash, where she's very, you know, she's, she's very much in her bubble. She's very confined to what people share with her. And when she eventually goes with Castile and everybody's making these jokes and she goes, you know, and she makes that comment. She goes, this isn't funny. Like you guys, you all are laughing about something and making these comments. And I have no idea what you're, you're, you're laughing about. And how is that fair to me? It's like, I want to know, you know, I want to be on the joke or I want to be aware. Um, and, and same thing with, um, with Ellerin, 
you know, when she's having those conversations with Lucas or like, you know, whatever is going on in the Shadow Wand or, you know, the whole Black Witch Chronicles, nobody's communicating with these female protagonists because they've been sheltered for so long. So there, there, there is that they're, you know, you do feel bad for them because a lot of, you know, what we've been reading, they are, you know, on the younger scale. And Clary is definitely the youngest that we've we've worked with so far. Yeah, she she absolutely is starting off at 15. Um, this is our second like introduction to the Silent Brothers and the Silent City. Now, I would love to know what you like. What do you think? Scary. Yeah. It seems scary. Yeah, I, I just it, it's a the whole city is, just feels like a prison. It's like a torture, dark. I don't imagine daylight. I, I just, it is a place, you know, it's it's a prison. People go there. Like, that's the threat, you know? Watch what you're doing or we'll get, you know, we're, we're going to go to the silent city. You know, you have to plan to enter. Um, it's almost, <laughs> I would think Kaz, if I need to get out of the silent city, I'm, I'm hiring Kaz. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But I should also point out that it's also like the hospital. They're also the healers. Mm-hmm. They're also uh, the burial chambers and like the libraries and the research. And it's where, uh, you know, ceremonies are held. It's where, you know, it's a huge part of Shadowhunter life. But everyone makes a point to be completely creeped out by the Silent Brothers. They wear parchment, you know, colored robes. Their eyes and mouth are sewn shut. They have uh, runes all over their bodies. They don't speak. And if they, uh, they don't like vocalize but they speak um in like your head tele- right yeah tele- like a damati kind of thing so what is so scary about the silent city is that when jace is brought to the silent city by the inquisitor uh imogen uh valentine uses a fear demon this is in book two uses the fear demon to scare all of the silent brothers to death and the silent brothers um broke the stitching in their mouth and screamed and screamed and screamed. And Jay says like, it was the weirdest, scariest thing that he has like ever experienced. And like, I cannot imagine something else that I like about the, the big uh, silent city scene is that there are dead bodies and blood everywhere. That, that is something that Cassie Claire like kind of does, does well. She says, like, there's blood here. There's dead bodies here. Like, these are what the demons look like. But it's not done in, like, a like an exploitive, like, kind of, like, hyper-focused on, like, nastiness way uh, and, like, like, excruciating detail. It's just, like, setting the scene of everything. And I appreciate that because I don't need details about certain things, but I like to know, like, what oh, the we- setting is. We had that conversation the other day. I can't remember. You were reading something. The Poppy Wars. That's what it was. We were talking about it on the Instagram live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the Poppy War is absolutely fantastic. But like it is too detailed about the the death and the war crimes for me. It's just something that I can't stomach. But something at this level and even at something at like the Blood and Ash level, uh, right. that that is like no problem for me. And I And I appreciate the... The, the, like, gruesome violence that Cassie Clare brings to this, but, like, one step removed from the details. 
So it's like scary and the, the stakes are high and like the pressure is there, but you're not like grossed out. That's important to me. It's just a little important detail. The reason that Jace is put into the Silent City is because there's a whole big drama, right? There's a big drama at uh, Luke's house and Jace gets a motorcycle from Raphael, which, you know, we love these demon motorcycles. <laughs> and he goes to see uh, Valentine on the boat and he has like a big talk with Valentine. And and Valentine says, like, I will protect everyone that you love if you join me and like come to my side. And Jace basically says, like, fuck you. Um, and I really appreciate that, but I don't like, um, Isabel and Alex mom, Maris, where Maris, um, and, and Luke comes to Jace's defense. I mean, she immediately wants to write Jace off. How can you go? Even though he said, no, absolutely not. How can you go to Valentine? And Luke says, he goes, look, if Jace sought out his father and not us, it means we failed him. It's not the other way around. Luke, uh, Jace didn't fail us, you know, and I think that was, you know, and I think that was important because I think it shows that, you know, gosh, these poor, these poor, all of the characters, there needs to just be like one general, you know, therapist who specializes in fantasy um, for these characters because, yeah, he's going to have issues that he sought out his father. No, like he and Luke even says, I think it maybe it was at the end of the first book, City of Bones, where he goes, you know, he tells Clary, I was hoping that I was going to be the one that Jace goes to. But, you know, here we are. He still needs like a, a paternal figure in his life. And that's, at that moment, he think he truly believes that it is, you know, he, this whole time he thought his father died and he just got his father back. So, yeah, he's going to be like, I don't know where else to turn to. Maybe this other adult in my life might have something more value added than what I'm aware of. And then when he presents the offer, obviously, Jason says no. But then to have this whole family, not the, the, the parental figures of this family that raised him, another you know, two other people like essentially turn their back on him. I, I feel bad for him. I feel bad. He is a you know you you feel for him. And he and you said like Clary's totally isolated in this moment. Like Jace is also completely isolated. He's been kicked out of the institute by Maris because of her own uh, politics and standing and like optics with the the clave, the governing bodily body of the Shadow Hunters, like. Now, like, war criminal Valentine, like, that Jace is his son. Clary is his daughter. They've been living, or Jace has been living with you for, like, 10 years. You used to be loyal to him. He's a spy. Of course, like, none of this is true except for, like, Maris's own personal background. But, like, optics, I really appreciate the politics and the optics in these books. And that continues on in the other series as well, uh, working with the Clave. But, like, damn. And Luke is... So wonderful. I, I feel like people I do don't like Luke. Like people don't praise Luke enough for what he is. And damn, has he gone through hell? But Luke, and you're right, Jess says like we failed him if he has to go to Valentine. He's a child. These are all children, and we're just expecting too much. We're like we're pushing our own issues onto these children who are dealing with their own issues when we really should be helping each other. And I think part of that he's able to be a little bit more objective 
because he's gone through like eight million lifetimes at this point. You know, he was a shadow hunter and then he became then he was bitten and he became a werewolf so he was no he was no longer allowed to be a shadow hunter and valentine all but said he should you know um end his own life because he's not going to be able to live with the fact that he's a werewolf then he isolates himself from werewolf packs because he just doesn't want to be with anybody realizes you know he he finds jocelyn again then they leave because she doesn't want anybody. She doesn't want to be affiliated with anything. No magic. No nothing. And then he finds her again in New York because he just cannot live without her. And the day he stopped looking for her unintentionally, it wasn't like he, he was just like, you know, I'm not looking for her today. I'm just casually walking the street. He found her art, came across it. And, I, you know, this, this, this man has been, like you said, to hell and back. And I think because he's been removed and had different lived experiences between the Shadowhunters, between being solo, between being part of a werewolf pack, between, you know, and then being living as human, he's able to kind of recognize their own upbringings, what the mission was, quote unquote, when they were high schoolers, and then seeing it from a human perspective and talking to Maris about it, because Maris, her kids haven't gone to traditional high school. They are at the Institute. Their education is vastly different than what Clary's learning. And even despite Luke telling Jocelyn, hey, you really should tell her the truth. But he's not going to say anything because he's not her father. Um, he He's just kind of on the outside of all of this. While being on the inside, this I can't imagine why people wouldn't give him more credit. And talk about father figures. So Clary says over and over and over and over again, Valentine, you are not my father. Luke is my father. I choose Luke as my father. And I find that so interesting, especially when you compare that to what Inquisitor um, Herondale, Imogen says, when she offers to trade Jace for the mortal instruments, like Imogen has her own scam going on, right? And Jace is like, he's he's not going to do that. He's he's not going to trade me for the mortal instruments. Like you're insane. And Imogen says a father would never do that to his own son, his own blood, which is just another indicator. Like Valentine absolutely would because Jace is not Isn't his own his... son. He is not his own blood. And like Jace doesn't know that at this point. Nobody knows that at that point. But that's just like another indicator that Valentine does not um, like think of Jace as a son because he isn't in any way. So the Inquisitor is shocked that Valentine says like, fucking murder him. I don't care. I'm not giving you the mortal instruments. And that is just so important. And it's like kind of overlooked, but it's just one of those like, you know, Things that point out that Jace is like Valentine in like actions and mannerisms and not in any way that like counts because he was raised by him, but he's not like blood bound to him and like choosing your family and like found family is like a very big trope here. But um, I think and that is when um, Inquisitor Herondale has like a like a light bulb moment where she's like, oh, fuck. Which is just, like, so good. And then we go from there, and, like, you know, shit happens, obviously. Um, we go from there to, 
we go to the boat battle, but I want to talk about Clary being able to create runes. I thought that was so cool. And that, when does that get established? The second book? I feel like the second book and the third book kind of blend for me because I read them back to back. That is the, it's the second book when she, um, it, it gets like, so she breaks Jace out of jail the first time with the open rune. But right. Like, but like people didn't like kind of know what she two did. And two together. Yeah. Right. So then she says, like, I think I can create runes. And everybody at Luke's house is like, well, prove it. And um, she creates the fearless rune and she puts it on Alec. And then, um, you know, Alec and his mom and dad and Inquisitor come to arrest Jace. And Alec's got the rune on. And he's like, Mom, Dad. I'm dating a warlock. And I love how Magnus is like so in tune with the situation that he just like knocks Alec out. He's like, nope, this is not the time. This is not the place. (laughs) It's just, oh, Magnus Bane, we love him so much. Well, I like initially with the rune creation, like everything, nobody wants to listen to the quick kids. She's like, I, I think I could do this thing. No, 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 that's not possible. You can't create runes. Runes are already there. You're you're just kind of using what's there and applying them. She's like, no, you don't. And you know, and, she, and then you you know, you later find out once people are saying like, how did you do that? And she goes, I just I just imagined something, and I imagined it very clearly and specifically of how I would use something. Or how I would utilize that rune. And it manifested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and it um, manifests again. She does it again in the big boat battle. Right? She There's a huge battle going on. The Seelie Queen comes through. Like the werewolf. Like Luke comes through. Magnus is doing his thing. There's boats floating on water. There's trucks floating on water. Um, you know, the Inquisitor is there. And oh, there's something I want to bring up about that. But... But Clary melts the whole fucking boat down with the intensity of her rune creation. And I just think that that is so, so cool. Where she then is on basically bed rest for X amount of time because she has to recover. And I like that when she's going in and out of her lucid state, um, she's even saying, you know, she's hearing things, but everybody keeps saying Give her time to relax. This is, you know, this this whole thing just happened. That's probably why she's still passed out from it. So what I wanted to bring up is Imogen and Jace have a moment on the boat, which I think is so funny because Jace is like, you want to talk to me now? Are you fucking insane (laughs) now? There's like demons everywhere. Like there's like monster. Uh, It's so good. But. Imogen sees the scar that Jace has that's shaped like a little star and and she's a Herondale and she immediately knows. knows. Immediately knows. And like Jace is like, what? And I remember um, you said to me, like, I, I don't know what he, you said, I don't know what she said to him. You didn't say anything oh. about the scar. So I was wondering, like. Because that was when she noticed, um. I, I didn't notice the, I didn't put the two together because she just looked at him. So I thought she was telling him something telepathically. I didn't realize that was her aha moment. And it makes sense because, you know, like he was raised that it wasn't this, um, 
this hereditary thing. It was just a birthmark. And that's all he knew. And then he just carried on with his life. Just like anybody when you're told as a child, oh, yeah, honey, that's just your birthmark. You go, oh, okay. And then you keep going on with life. You know, you don't. And the fact that how he was raised and how isolated he was, of course, nobody else would have brought that up to him. Yeah. Because how it was would they only, know. How would they know? Yeah. And, and though, uh, Valentine who was well-versed in, like, Shadowhunter history. He knew what that was, and he actively lied to Jace about it. Just again, it's like, again and again and again. Oh, my God. I had, I don't want to say question, but every time, (laughs) whenever I was reading this, and Valentine would do something, I had to stop and think, and it reminded me of our Villains episode, is he morally gray or is he the villain? Because, and this is how I, st- how I started off the book. I do recognize that he is a straight up villain now. But every time he was so, mani- you know what it is? He was so manipulative that when he gave you some sort of reason in that moment, you're, you're kind of split. Is he a villain and he's telling me the lie? Or is this the morally gray character who's, giving me, oh, now there's a reason I could kind of see where he's coming from. At the end of the day, whatever reason he was giving was a lie that we know. And it was completely, you know, it was not altruistic. It was completely self-serving. It was everything for him. Um, But I did stop myself question, like, throughout the book. I go, is he evil or is he morally gray? You know, obviously, once we found out more. But when he was giving those reasons, you go, oh, okay, well, that that could make sense. But I'm still skeptical about you. I need to know the whole story because this isn't the whole story. And um, Clary and Luke and Hodge and Maris and, you know, all all of these people say, like, don't let him talk. If, If Valentine starts talking, he could convince you of anything. He he can work the situation. He plays on your fears. He can read you. And when you try to disagree with him, it will make you sound like you want demons to take over the world. It will make you sound like, you know, you you have all these like weird motives and that what he's doing, you know, like cleaning up all the corruption in the clave and like fulfilling our holy purpose. Like when you disagree with that, it makes you sound crazy. But like in reality, he's the crazy one, obviously. I mean, we know this. Um, and and I like that that is kind of said over and over and over again. Like he's he's charming, he's wonderful, he makes you feel like you're the only person in a room. Like he he's got all of those like that, those are every single thing that you're saying is everything that we are told as women to be cautious. For when dating, because of the, you know, especially when it comes to love bombing people, um, you of, who doesn't want to be made felt like they're the only person in the room and that your thoughts matter. I mean, even I like in the third book when Jocelyn eventually wakes up, she you know, Clary's has all these questions, but one of the first things she's asking about is how did you marry him? He is a monster, and her mom goes. He's a man. He's like dead hand. Uh, like no, he's a man. And I go, oh, and I and I. <laughs> but and, and again, we both recognize 
not all men, but there's a reason why we have these warnings. There's a reason why I share my location with people if I'm going somewhere. Um, and why it's so important to recognize yourself as an individual also so you will know how to stand your ground when someone and obviously not all men because everything that we said the manipulation the charmingness that these are red flags that also you don't want to think that they are red flags why would anybody want to think somebody who's nice to you is there's an ulterior motive you know but here we are having Here to are. be practical and recognize that. Uh, something that is very important is Simon becomes a day walker. Um, he drinks <laughs> Jace's blood. And we know this because we find out that Jace has angel blood. And uh, because they say like uh, other vampires say like, well, we've had we've like had shadow hunter blood before. It didn't do anything to us. But, you know, Jace and Clary and Sebastian are the only three children that have been experimented on this way. So Jace's blood makes Simon a daywalker. And I like that they have this like weird bond connection now um, that they kind of carry on into into book three. It's like um, book four. No, book three. Oh, oh, I see. From you're we're going from ashes to glass. Okay, yeah. I, I like that they have this like weird bonding moment where Simon's like, "I could have killed you," and Jace is like, "I would have let you." And, and they, they have that in the back of their heads and they, that's kind of like always with them as they move forward in their relationship. I really like it. Uh, I want to go to Takis. I think Takis would be such a fun <laughs> restaurant. I love it so much. Uh, so this book ends with Madeline Belfour telling Clary on the steps of the hospital that she knows how to save her mom. And then it's like, bam, book three. That, that's literally, she, she says it in not the last chapter, the epilogue. Mm -hmm. And I feel, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like the epilogue, I know usually an epilogue is just like, oh, here's kind of what's happening. I feel like Cassie's epilogues are, I still want to say all this stuff, but so I'm just going to put it all in here and not have this world building. Because her epilogue seems so long and there's so much detail but at the same time, it's kind of skirting over this is happening here. This is happening here. Clary went to go visit Simon. He's in the daylight. He's still in his rock band. And Clary is like, oh, you should tell your friends. How? Oh, OK, Clary. Good one. Yes. Let's just go tell the world that vampires exist and, quote unquote, your friends they're, they're your bandmates. They're not your friends. The second they find out you're a vampire, they're kicking you to the <laughs> I'm just, oh man, poor Clary. Now I know you're 16. <laughs> but with with uh, just the whole story with with City of Ashes and her and her saying, "I know how to save your mom," ends. Book three picks right up, and now Clary's in that 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 frantic state of I'm. She's the only one that can help her. I'm the only one who looks like my mother. I need to get there. And I don't care how it's done. I don't care if I need, I don't need permission. I'm going to Alicante. I want a green velvet coat like Clary's. <gasps> and she even said, she was always just like, you know, uh, um, you're going to know when I say this. I had envisioned the green cape coat 
maybe with a little bit more embroidery. De- it, like the green cape coat that Blair wears in Gossip Girl. Yes. Mixed with some sort of embroidery of a kefta. Yeah. Yeah. I want it so bad. Oh, my I God. I have been looking for that coat for years. For years. I just, I just think it was gorgeous. And and I like... Okay, so um, City of Glass. City of Glass is Alicante. City of Glass is the capital of Idris, the Shadowhunter homeland. Um, Alicante sounds so fucking cool. Um, mm-hmm. In later books and later series, we're in Alicante a lot. And, you know, we've got demon towers. It's been safe for a thousand years. That's the seat of the government is there. All these old houses, all these old families. It's awesome. I love it. One of my favorite parts about this book in particular is how people call Clary out on her temper tantrums. It's like, um, you know, and obviously like Jace is in the wrong here. He, but, but knowing what we know, like he doesn't, Jace doesn't want the clave to know that Clary can create runes because um, that will like overthrow everything that they've always thought to be true. And that could like end the, the like whole situation as they know it. Right. And he just doesn't want that for her. Fair. You know, some part of me is like, you know what? Fair. You're, you're 17. That's a hell of a government to overthrow. Like you're all charged by the angel to do this thing. Like, okay, fair. But you know, he was wrong and he lies to Clary about when they're leaving and he would like bring Simon in on it. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, God, I love Magnus so much. And uh, Magnus makes a portal and he sends everybody through. There's an attack. And then Clary gets all sorts of pissed off about it and being left out. And she goes and just like makes her own portal rune. Not knowing. Let's let's it's not like she's familiar with magic and runes. And she just knows that she can. Yeah, she just knows that she can. And she doesn't know. Yeah, like you said, she doesn't know how portals work. She doesn't know how Alicante works. She doesn't know how Idris works. And she is rash and selfish and angry. And she makes a portal and she goes through and Luke goes with her. And he is pissed off at her and tells her so right to her face. And I appreciate that. I feel like, you know, because this is like obviously from Clary's perspective, we get a lot of her like feelings and emotions, but we don't get a lot of how other people see her really. And it's nice to know that like, she's sort of fucking annoying sometimes. And like, she doesn't think things through, but that's also so much of a 16 year old. Right. And you know, it's funny you say that because I'm thinking of books that we've read in the past and I'll say Harry Potter, including She's the main character, obviously, right now, from what I'm reading. She is the main character of this book. But she's not the favorite. I, I mean, to me, at least. I'm sure there are people who love Clary. Um, Magnus is mine. I think Magnus and Isabel, I absolutely love. They are, so far, my number ones. I do like Luke. I think he's very practical. I like that Magnus calls um, Clary out at the end. She goes, you, why did you lie to me? You're so self-serving. You only needed me to get the book. And he goes, yes. However, if I told you everything in that moment, you would have only been focused on seeing Simon, saving Simon. You would not be focused on the bigger picture. And I really appreciated that. And, you know, she she's 
it's like you said, we're we're only seeing things from her perspective and we are and you and I are approaching this as two adults with lived experiences. It goes back to that conversation we had a few weeks ago in one of our episodes where we're talking about Ariel and King Triton and she goes, I'm 16 years old. I'm not a, a child. child. And you're like, yes, you are. And that's how this, this feels where she thinks she, you know, she's 16. She knows the world, you know, like she doesn't. And Luke, you know, in that moment, he does yell at her. He goes, you have this, you have the pad, the mouth, the, uh, I can't, I'm combining words. You have the magic. You have the runes. You have the power. You don't know how to wield it. She goes, but I thought I just had to make a portal. And he goes, and I told you, but you didn't fucking listen, that it won't be accepted on the other side and you'll bounce off. And that's what did. And she almost drowned. And she even said, well, you weren't supposed to come with me. And he goes, and if I didn't, you'd be dead. Yeah. And Magnus also, Luke says, like, Magnus also told you, you were just so focused on, like, you have to do this thing that you weren't taking in all the information that people were giving you, you like dumb, selfish little girl. And it, it's really refreshing, I thought. Uh, so Clary ends up like swallowing half of Lake Lynn, which we find out is poisonous to Shadowhunters because that is where the entire like Shadowhunters like started, right? Like that's where Raziel came up with Jonathan Shadowhunter. Like that's where it all happened. And she loses her celly, which is the wand, Um if people are just listening, um, she uses she loses it in the lake. And the only way she would have really been able to get all of that lake poison water out of her is if she had that and she didn't. So now with the lake water still in her body, she, you know, she's poisoned. She's eventually, you know, becoming delirious and, you know, seeing things. And now that that's the point in the book where you have Luke basically... <laughs> Like, like he's on the run because he's not allowed to be there <laughs> all for all for the sake of saving Clary. And he runs to his sister's house, which is, is so is so wonderful. Like Amatis is Amatis Herondale. So there's another Herondale we've got there. She was married to Stephen, her first wife and or his. Yeah, Stephen's first wife and uh, Amatis being Luke's sister, like they look alike and Amatis has so much guilt over Luke and how she treated him and how everything kind of like happened when Luke got turned as a werewolf. So she takes in Clary and Clary lives there for the, like the rest of this book. And, um, she, I, I, I picture the house and like, she climbs down like the, the trellis and it's like a ladder and lots of things happen in this book. Um, we meet very early on in this book, Sebastian, Oh, Sebastian. Um, Sebastian I feel Verlock. like he came out of nowhere. Yeah. Am I, I, I know I wrote that in the notes and, you know, all of a sudden she's interacting with Sebastian. Wait, I understand the introduction of new characters. I do. But it just feels like he dropped out of the blue. Everybody else kind of made sense. No? Sort of. Like, he's there. Like, so, so, okay. So, so Sebastian Verlock was an actual person. He, like, Sebastian Verloc is exactly who he is, right? Like, all all of that makes sense. Like, he is Aline's, like, cousin, like, all that stuff. That's all true. So, because uh, the Lightwoods and Jace are staying at the Penhollow's house and, like, Aline is there and, like, Sebastian is visiting. So, like, 
that's the setup there. So we meet Aline at the same time that we meet Sebastian. So like, I guess you could say like they're kind of out of nowhere, but like that introduction is just like, okay, we have two like new characters that are, that are like peers um, in Alicante. So I don't know. It, it, it didn't like phase. I I don't know. Um, These two characters are also in the show, by the way. Okay. The show has four seasons, right? Yeah, three or four. Do you four. feel like yeah. do you feel like they align with the books? Uh, more or less. Okay. Yeah, more or less. So, what what do we have here? There, there's a lot going on. We have uh, Sebastian kind of flirting with Clary, like taking Clary to do things, taking Clary to the cottage. But Sebastian knows, no? Yeah, Sebastian he, he's knows. He's still yeah, Sebastian. Like that's that's the whole thing. In hindsight. I don't know it, obviously, at the time, because I go, oh, he's flirting with her. And I go, I don't know what I think about this guy. But now, knowing that he knows that she's his sister, biological sister, and he's still flirting with her. I mean, granted that there wasn't it wasn't going to go beyond that because he had this whole ulterior motive. Um, But. I, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with it. It was just a comment. <laughs> it, and it's played up in the show really well about how he, about how, and, and there, there's a lot about this, but like Sebastian has, Sebastian is the one with demon blood. Like Sebastian is the Jonathan with demon blood. And we know that that burned out everything good about him. So there there's a lot of theories about this, but one of them is that Sebastian doesn't understand love he doesn't understand anything about love so he like knows that clary is his sister but he doesn't know okay what that is like what to do with that like he knows what like boys and girls are supposed to do but he doesn't have any sort of like like learned affinity ba- kind of thing. He's to got that yeah. He's significant got significant. Okay, he has nothing because he's basically completely crazy and pure evil. And he was the one that Valentine like tortured the fuck out of. Right? Like he needed a soldier. Yeah, he needed he a, a soldier. Yeah, I mean, he got a crazy one. Uh, so yeah, and Sebastian and Clary go to. Um, you know, find Ragnar Fell. That's what Clary needs to do. And like Jace yells at Clary and like tries to send her home. And like Isabel wants to send her home. Like, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. And of course, Simon is with all of them. And Simon gets thrown into the guard. And Simon has his own little adventure. I love Magnus as Ragnar at the little cottage. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's just great. I like that he, he knocks, he goes, you're going to tell him that I wasn't, I wasn't real who I was. You're going to say, Oh, that's not Ragnar. That's back. He goes, I couldn't have you do that. I just like how he knows how predictable every single person is. And also, um, Magnus is like, well, Sebastian's like really handsome. Again, Magnus has a thing for black haired boys. And we, we just know this. Um, so, so this whole thing is Ragnar is dead. And people have killed Ragnar looking, you know, for whatever they're looking for. And Magnus says, Ragnar left me a message. The way to cure your mom is in the Book of the White. And the Book of the White is in a cookbook. And that cookbook is in the old 
Waylon Manor. And the only way that you're going to get there is with Jace because there's like huge like wards on it or whatever, which I just think is so funny. Like Jocelyn really knew her environment, right? She's like, what book is my fucking husband never going to open? Of course, it's a cookbook, like recipes for housewives. Well, even like with the, (laughs) she's just so, she was so smart about things too, because even with hiding the, the cup, it was in the tarot cards. Mm-hmm. She goes, nobody, no, nobody is going to look in an obvious place that's right in front of you. These cards are, they're not like a collector's card. These are actively being used all the time. And the second part of it, nobody would think to hide it in something. You think of hiding a, an object, hiding it, um, you know, somewhere, not necessarily in that doesn't make sense. It makes sense if you read the book. It does. It does make sense. Like, if you read I know the book. I'm making no sense trying to explain that. It, it does make sense if you read the book. Um, so Clary, Clary has a very like visceral reaction to Sebastian, which I find very interesting. Clary says, like, I recognize him immediately. Like, I've seen him before. Like, I see something in him that I remember. And Simon says the same thing. It's like, have I met you before? Like, you look really familiar. And it's because he is Clary's biological brother. Like, that. that's what that is. But right after um, Clary and Sebastian leave Ragnar's house, uh, Sebastian kisses her because, again, the, the whole theory about right. he, doesn't, he doesn't know what love is. And... Clary has this like revulsion to him and she's like so disgusted. That she doesn't have with Jace. That she doesn't have with Jace. And also Sebastian gets really angry, right? He hurts her. His eyes go like completely black and he has these like crazy mood swings. And he's he's just he's just like psycho. Like he's psycho. We just we just know this. Um and I and I find that really, really interesting. The other thing about this that I find really interesting is that when Clary and Jace go to um, Wayland Manor and um, Jace is like, you know, I didn't I didn't realize like how cold everything is. Like my dad beat me when I tried to read his journals because I read his journals and it was all this stuff about my son, Jonathan Christopher. And Jace said, that's the first time I found out I had a middle name, which is not true because it wasn't him. It was Sebastian. But he doesn't know that because all he knows right now is my name is Jonathan. He's writing about me. He doesn't know exactly why, but he's just journaling about certain things. And then the door opens and we get the angel that has been tortured for decades, right? Like. He's there and he he tells Clary like mentally that like I've been giving you these true dreams like you're dreaming true. And he gives Jason Clary like all of these visions of like different points of their lives. And Jace thinks at this point that he's the one that has demon blood. And this is where that theory kind of comes in. So Jace is like, OK, yes, this is why I feel this way about you, Clary. Like I'm evil. Like, of course, of course this makes sense. Like, I'm disgusting. Like, if someone would have told me, I would have killed myself. Like, I'm full of evil. And it, it just made me very sad. The also thing that made me very sad is the angel commits suicide, like, right there. 
like um they they give him the this deli and and the angel just like dies and it's so sad oh it's just it's just so sad it's just so sad <sighs> there's a lot of things i can't remember the exact season and we i think we discussed this leading into the series that it felt very supernatural, like from the series Supernatural, especially when angels and demons and the self-sacrificing and the angel blade. And that's kind of like what a Sully is for the angels. It's just like an angel blade. And God doesn't exist, but there is a belief of faith and these other mm-hmm. spiritual beings. And I thought it was just coming into the series knowing that definitely get- helped give a different perspective. Because if I only had a religious traditionally religious upbringing trying to walk into this go this isn't necessarily the angels and demons i learned about i mean even at the end of the book where um the third book they say um children of the moon light lilith and fairy i you know we were both you know we both were raised catholic and you went to catholic school a lot longer than i have Lilith was never discussed ever that I recall, like not, you know, so to have those little, those little droplets of information with the background that we already have from like other things that we kind of consume in media, it was really interesting. Or even like Sabrina, the, the chilling adventures of Sabrina, Mm -hmm. not Sabrina, the teenage witch. Um, It was really interesting to see it just in a different light. Than what is traditionally conveyed. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think I said, especially uh, later on in the book, when Simon gets the mark of Cain. Yes, it's the like, mark ha-ha. of Cain. And you know, it was funny because they they say in the book, you don't know what that means by having that mark, but we do. Mm-hmm. We know what that means. It's not just a you know a rune and passing. Like we understand the significance. It's not the significance that comes with carrying the burden that is the mark of Cain. And Magnus says like he has a belief that that was the first like rune, which is is very interesting. Which uh, I I would believe. Oh, absolutely. Like if you told me, yeah, I wouldn't like question it, you know, because you said, you know, just some of the conversations of, oh, well, this would happen. Or like there is this theory. I go, for me, that theory is just, that makes sense. Mark of Cain mm-hmm. would be the first rune. Something or someone that we haven't talked about at all is Max. And Max is a very tragic figure in these first three books. He is Isabel and Max's, or Isabel and Alex's little brother. Little brother. And he is killed by Sebastian, by Sebastian, which is just, it's just awful. There, there were so many, there were things that Sebastian did that I would, because ro- I listened to this book, um, that I would rewind and think, wait, did he just do that? Because there are certain things but again this goes with the he doesn't understand emotion he doesn't understand sympathy you know and we do find out that Isabel gets her revenge but he's he's the youngest you know he's just he kind of reminds me of Barrett in A Kingdom of Flesh and Fire like the little pup you know you're just aw you know he's just and he just wants to be with like his cool older brother and sister you know and he also considers Jace a brother because they've all been raised so I don't know I think it's just it's very special but very sad because he's so young and he says you know Izzy 
Has anyone ever climbed the demon towers? I saw somebody climbing the demon towers, and because no one listens to children, even children don't listen to children. And Izzy says, "Like, no, like that. No one would do that. You didn't see that. You're tired. Go to bed." And of course, he was right. Um, the the and so she the, and she says that she mm-hmm. goes, "Oh my!" And she of course she blames herself. She goes, "He said he told me. He told me, and I didn't listen." Yeah. And the person climbing the demon towers obviously was Sebastian because he has demon blood. So he can break the like paradox and bring the words down from inside because he has demon blood and, you know, da, 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 da. And what follows is a very like gruesome battle that the shadow hunters would have lost if Luke had and the packs like had not come to like save everybody's asses because they were completely um taken by surprise and they they say like the only people left in the city at that point are the old the sick and the children because every other able-bodied adult is doing politics um at the guard and and it's just uh it's, it's really something to see and like Magnus is there and then Magnus and Alec have that great like like fight Kind of, and I, I just, I just love that. It's like, why didn't you call me? And Magnus is like, now, you want to do this now? I do, uh, I do love Magnus. I love you. You never called me back, but I also like Magnus saying and calling out Alec, saying you, you only reach out when you need something. Also, it's not. I love you, and you're not willing to admit that. Yeah, Magnus doesn't fuck around. Like he, Magnus I, is I like is Magnus. perfect. And the thing that I really like about these books, and I and I like this about all of Cassie Clare's books, is like, and you said it earlier. Like we don't have to love the main characters because the side characters and the supporting characters are so strong and so good that like we can latch on to them. And I feel this way, especially in the Mortal Instruments, because this is not this is not like top tier literature. We don't we're not, um, but like these books, like, especially I think these first three, like set the world up for you in such a way where like you can jump from this into like other stuff. And it's just so important. So, like, And there are other sets that are stronger than this one. Right? Oh, yeah. this, I know is, this isn't your favorite. This is this by is... far the weakest out of everything she's ever okay. done. By re- far. And see, that makes me feel, I know that's kind of like when we talk about Throne of Glass, where people say, oh, I don't like the first book, or I don't really like, they're they're not really vibing with it after the first two books. But then it was, and, and I know I was emotional with The Crown of Midnight at the end, because it was that moment that I realized, first I was just kind of reading like, okay, I like these characters. And it was the end of Crown of Midnight where it clicked for me, where I go, oh, this is everything up until this point is setting up for this big thing. I don't know what the big thing is, but this is going to be epic. And I remember because it was on my, I finished Crown of Midnight on my birthday and I left you a message and editor Sam was said, this is because I think you probably had made a comment of why is she so emotional over Crown of Midnight? This isn't even the good one. And editor Sam goes, this is her first epic Mm-hmm. fantasy yep. and I've never been in you know I had read Akatar and I loved it and it was so different because it, it was romance with plot and this was the first epic fantasy of plot with romance read that that is complete that I'm reading and I was just in 
invested. And it gives me, if I liked those first two books and I'm enjoying the Shadowhunters so far, and, and we won't go into the spoiling of it that we discussed right before this episode, but all I had asked was, what, you know, is, are we going to see more of Magnus and Alec? And you gave me a response. And I'm normally, ever, if you've been listening for a while, you know I'm not a spoiler person. And I did just want to know uh, if there was going to be a continuation of these two characters. And Laura gave me her response, and I had um, a very audible reaction. What that reaction is, we'll find out in a later episode that we record. Um, but... You know, it's it's nice when there's world building. It's you know, it's just like you have some people who really appreciate one-off books. You have people who appreciate movies that aren't part of a franchise. There's something to be said with the series, though, because there's a familiarity with it, and you're growing, or I hope we grow with some of these characters. Ah, oh, so good. Um, so let's let's finish up this book. Uh, Clary can create runes. We know this. She creates the like unity rune, right? And it is the coming together of downworlders and shadow hunters to like share their powers. And um, like, it reminded fight a me of the Atlantean woven bond because yeah. the shadow hunters and they're like, oh, if you want to, and it was a very symbiotic symbiotic relationship where they were saying, look, shadow hunters can work off of like the magicalness and strength or that comes with being paranormal and the paranormals can utilize what the shadow hunters have to offer at the same time, which goes like flies directly in the face of what Valentine wants. Like Valentine wants a complete separation. He wants like the destruction of all downworlders. And this is his daughter, like bringing all everybody together, which is very interesting because like Valentine hates demons, obviously, but he's using them as an army to defeat the shadow hunters, like just to prove that he can, you know, like it's, it's this whole thing. Um, so Clary does, she, she makes the rune, but before that Clary has a really fantastic and I think very emotional and real like conversation with her mom. We touched on it earlier. Like she hasn't seen her mom since this whole thing started. Yeah. Right. The first, the beginning of the first book. Yeah. And Jocelyn walks in and Clary is like, Oh my God, that's my mom. And then she's immediately so fucking angry. And Clary's like internal monologue at this point is like, I was so worried about her, like, and, and like what that means that I didn't process about how angry I was that she lied to me my whole life. And she took this away from me and she like sheltered me. And because of this, like, I'm not strong because of this. I'm not part of this community and I don't feel like useful. And, and I just really like that. And, you know, I, I do. I, I just like that. I think it was real, though, too, because I think we get, you know, especially and I get it because in those moments you, there is that concern of, oh, my gosh, are they going to pull through? And then then reality hits, you know, reality hits. And that's and that was, you know, everything. It's not that everything else goes out the window. It's OK. Part one, the person pulled through. They're alive because it's not like she just casually woke up and she saw her on the hospital bed. Her mother had been watching the speech, watching her daughter you show everybody the rune that she created. She knew. So it, it was just an immediate, OK, mom's fine. We're going into it because it is an overwhelming feeling because I don't blame her for being upset because if she was prepared, she wouldn't 
feel so weak in this whole thing and so um, separated and just everything that came with it. You know, she was like, I wouldn't be in this position if you had prepared me better. And finally, we get the reveal from mom herself <laughs> that Jace is not her son. And and she gives like Clary this whole backstory, right? About how like she, she, Jocelyn like fell in love with Valentine, fell out of love with Valentine. She, Jocelyn knows that Luke is in love with her. Jocelyn knows that Valentine experimented on babies. She knows like all of this stuff. And she knows that Jace isn't her son because her son had black eyes because she was revolted by her son. She didn't love him. And, you know, that's part that's part of it. Uh, you know, Sebastian like never had any sort of love, right? Like, right, so he doesn't right. know what to do with it. And, um, you know, she says like, Jace, Jace is not your brother. Like Jace has nothing to do with you. And and I find that it's, it's just like, okay, finally, like, okay. But it takes you three books mm-hmm. to, to get that confirmation, yep. which if in this talk, we, we talked about it earlier in this episode, where if you don't know that, you're kind of only focusing, if you're still reading at this point, you're only focusing on that part of the story and not even the subtextual clues. Mm-hmm. And and like during this whole thing, like Jace has left because Jace is on a suicide mission because he thinks he's evil. He thinks that he has demon blood. He thinks he's a monster and he's going to go like deal with Sebastian because he's evil. And that's like in his nature. Right. Like that that is who he is, which of course we know that isn't true. And he has, but a, even their fight with that, even when, and Jay still doesn't know in their fight at this point that they're not, they're like, you keep saying my father. And then Sebastian would say, or, you know, Jace kept saying our father and Sebastian would keep saying, what are you talking about? Our father. And Jace would said, I'm not, I'm not praying our father, but Sebastian, because he knows, keeps changing the pro, the, the pronoun being used to my father. And then he finally says, like, he's not your father. Like, he's, (laughs) he's not, he's mine. Like, you, I think he says something like, you were just like some, some boy that he like ripped out. Okay. So what happened was that, um, Stephen Herondale died and his wife, Celine, um, was so distraught, was so distraught that she slashed her wrist and, and, and died. And Valentine cut the baby out of her at eight months and, you know, raised, raised, uh, Jace like from infancy like that, uh, which is like so fucked up. And then we, and Isabel asked a really good question, like, well, whose son is he? Like, who is he? He said he's a Herondale. Like, he's a Herondale. And which is like really interesting because there are no more Herondales, right? It's just Amatis. There aren't any more. So like, you know, Jace is now like. The- but there, there's so much identity in one's name. And Jace even brings that up at the end of this book where he goes, well, who am I? Because if I'm not Jonathan, who I assumed my name was by going through the journals, and then I was brought to Maris and the, uh, and the Lightwood family of giving me a name Jace, which at that time also makes sense because J and C, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of blend them together. He goes, that was a different point of my life. And I'm not that person either. 
it's this whole new identity. There's going to be some sort of self-identity crisis that he's going to be working with this poor dude. Poor dude. Poor dude. Poor dude who dies. So the the um, kind of like crux of this book is that um, Valentine wants to like do the infernal conversion and make all of these um, instruments, which they find out that the mirror, the last moral instrument is like Lynn, you know, very, very good. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, everybody, for that. And <laughs> working together, figured it out. And um, they, Jace and Clary and Valentine are at the lake and Valentine pulls Clary out because he needs a witness, right? Like Clary has that moment where it's like, you're not seeing me. You're seeing my mom. Like that you, you need like her and Clary has that realization and um, Valentine kills Jace. He straight up kills Jace. Clary has to watch. She's like bound, but she gets her stele and she changes some of the runes. And Val- this is what I appreciate this book. Valentine does exactly what he says he's going to do. He says he's going to do this stuff. He says he's going to raise the angel and he does. And Raziel comes out. He's like, the fuck you want? What do you want? And Valentine does his whole speech, right? And Raziel's like, no, <laughs> you crazy motherfucker. <laughs> no. Uh, and then kills him. <laughs> and like, that's the end of it. And, and I really I, appreciate I, that. And there was no question. It wasn't this, it was this dramatic lead up. And no, I just, okay, that's it. Got that, that, got that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. He's like, nah, nah, dude, nah. It's like, you dare? You dare with your, like, pretentious bullshit? Please. And then he's like, oh, I ask a favor of you. I raised you. And he's like, nah, your daughter changed the rune. The favor goes to her. And it is good. And then Clary um, asks for Jace back from the dead. And Jace comes back from the dead. And then, you know. I like that the angel is even like, that's that's what you want to use. This basically the ultimate wish. And she goes, you want to waste it on that? Okay. But I do find it interesting, Clary's kind of thought process there. She's like, well, I could ask to cure, like, world hunger. But if if the angels could do that, like, they they would have. Like, there's a reason, you know? Like, she kind of she kind of goes through all these, like, big concept wishes and is like, well, that that's not, like, their, their job. Like, that is, like, what we have to work at. Mm-hmm. So I found that very interesting. And then this this book ends with fireworks and a very happy party and like mingling the again the exact opposite of what um, Valentine wanted and it ends with fireworks and everybody's very happy and Jason Clary are like out in the open with their relationship and it ends on a very like happy happy note Simon's going to go back to high school and Clary's going to go to the institute and Luke and Jocelyn are together and very happy and they're going to like, you know, redo the clave and like kind of fix the government working towards each other. Um, the downworlders are going to have a seat in the government, which is very important. The accords are going to be signed. And it all like, as you said, these three books kind of like bookend each other. And it's like a nice like wrap up closure to this like intro section of the world. Yes. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm here. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm ready to. I'm ready to read. I have the fourth book downloaded already, but uh, that won't be my focus this oh, yeah. week. No. Um, but yeah, let's let's keep exploring. I mean, it has to. People are talking about it for a reason. It has been going on for this long. 
and has this 22 plus book series for a reason. So, I mean, I guess it's a good way to say that we'll be reading this and exploring this throughout the next who knows how long as we spread it around. We're not going to make it consecutive like we did with Throne of Glass, but it is definitely something that we're going to be exploring because there's a lot there. And something that I want to throw out to the listeners is if you are familiar with Shadowhunters, you know at the end of the Mortal Instruments, we could go one of two ways. We could go to 1878 or we could go to modern day California. So listeners, I want to know where do you want us to go when we finish, whenever we finish, there's no time limit here, whenever we finish the Mortal Instruments. Do you want us to go to California or do you want us to go to England? Let us know. If we go to one, does that mean we still go to the other? We just go to it at a later point? I it's think just so. like which one we go to first? Yeah, which one we go to first. Because okay. it, it doesn't matter, really. Uh, I mean, you could. You, there's an argument, like, you know, a little bit leaning one way towards the other one. But it's not like this definite thing that you have to do. It's just something you have to, like, remember. Oh, that'll be so fun. It's kind of like, let, oh, I like that. Choose yes, your please. own adventure. Let Choose us know. Choose your own adventure of what you want us to explore first. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it would be very fun. So please let us know. Please interact. Please hit us up. We love talking to all of y'all. We love kind of seeing what you like kind of create. We've had some really fantastic conversations. So that makes us very happy. Oh, yes, please. And please feel free to follow us on Instagram. We're at Akafe Podcast. We're also both on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. And please feel free to leave us comments and review us on Apple Podcasts. I think that's the only platform that has an openly um, review opportunity at this point. But we would love to, you know, we love feedback and, you know, please be kind to us. We're still learning. We've been doing this, but we want to, we want to interact with with everybody. And, you know, I think those who have been listening to us and do follow us, they, they're in our DMs and it's been so great. It's been so happy to share these experiences and other opinions and getting us to think too. We go, wait, we, I haven't thought of it that way. So thanks everybody for everything. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.